0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything. Interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past.
1: Being on one of the most respected teams in National Football League, having an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl was a great thrill. And having an opportunity to play in it was even a greater thrill. And then winning it made it a lot more greater. And then being the MVP just put the icing (laughs) on the cake.
2: Former Super Bowl MVP Doug Williams. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. It's Black History Month, so each week this month, I'm highlighting an interview from my archive with a prominent black American. It's also Super Bowl weekend, and as we prepare for Super Bowl 56 between the Rams and the Bengals, let's go back to the 1988 Super Bowl twenty-two between the Washington Redskins and the Denver Broncos. The quarterback for the Redskins that evening was 32-year-old Doug Williams, and by halftime, Williams had already made NFL history because in the second quarter of that game alone, he threw for 340 yards and four touchdowns. The Redskins became Super Bowl champions. Doug Williams became the Super Bowl MVP.
0: This ends what has been a class week for the Washington Redskins and Doug Williams in particular.
2: A couple of years later, Williams wrote an autobiography called Quarter Black, And that's when I had the chance to meet him. And even though this interview is now over 30 years old, it still seems so relevant today, especially in light of the Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL. So here now from 1991,
1: Doug Williams. Was the title your idea? No, believe it or not, um, uh, a young lady that I went to school with in high school, I gave her opportunity to read a few chapters of the book, uh, and I told her to help me come up with, with a name. And she threw about three names at me. And when Quarter Black came out, I told her hold it, stop there, and that's how we came up with Quarter Black. And her name is Bertha Thomas.
0: Now the subtitle is "Shattering the NFL Myth." Is it still a myth, or or, or is it is it really
1: a myth? Well, I, I think um, when I won the Super Bowl in '88, uh, a lot of people really forgot about the fact that there's very few black quarterbacks get opportunity mm-hmm. to really play in National Football mm-hmm. League. Uh, I think I was fortunate to go to Tampa Bay in 1978 when they was looking for anybody that could help them win. Uh, but I still think uh, there's some opportunity for some young black quarterbacks uh, to play in this league, but they don't get that opportunity because what happened here, uh team is already set with their starter. Um, and then you have a guy that's probably been around for a while, so they don't want to put their time in a young black quarterback to let him mature and hopefully be uh, a quarterback down the road. They would, would rather, uh, I always say that the back of quarterback is really not a position for a black quarterback. That's the luxury of uh, a, a white guy who's been around for a while, a young white guy that might have hope for.
0: But it's obvious you can do the job. You've done the job. Others like you have done the job. What... Uh, What in the world is keeping, in 1990, what in the world is keeping NFL owners from putting black quarterbacks out on the field? You know,
1: I I guess I just used the quarterback position as one way of saying that there should be more black coaches in the NFL and Mm. and everything else. I think, uh, first of all, we we need another uh, two head black football coaches. I think every team with the number of black players in this National Football League, about almost 60%, I think it should be more black coaches. And don't say that they can't do the job because they can't. If you look around, you know, everybody who's had a son that is old enough to work, they either work in the NFL because their daddy worked there. You call somebody. But I think it's time to give some of these ex-players who have played the game, and I'm not speaking for myself because I don't want to coach professionally, to be honest, which I'd rather be in a small college situation. But I think there's an awful lot of guys who should be given that opportunity to coach in the National Football League just as where some of these young quarterbacks and maybe the new league. Uh, that they're going to start in the spring might give some of these young black quarterbacks the opportunity to mature and eventually play in the National Football League.
0: But would that give the NFL owners an excuse? They say, well, there's plenty of them playing in the new league. We don't need to hire any.
1: I, I certainly hope they don't use that as a, a ploy and say, you know, we're not uh, against black quarterbacks because we got a lot of them over in the spring league. Uh, because the spring league would, would be nothing like the national football league. We're talking about the granddaddy of them all. <laughs> there is something about playing in the NFL, isn't there? Oh, I think if you had the opportunity to play in the NFL, you'd probably play with the elite, the best. And, that, and that's what it's all about. I mean, when you start at Pee Wee, junior high, high school, college, and make it to this level, there's not another level of football that you can go to. It's the national football league.
0: And then to play not only for a team like the Redskins, one of the best teams in the NFL, one of the premier teams, but to be in the Super Bowl, to lead the Redskins in the Super Bowl. What
1: a high that must have been for you. I think being with the Redskins, you, you've you been on one of the most respected teams in National Football League. And I think having that opportunity to go to the Super Bowl was a great thrill. And having an opportunity to play in it was even a greater thrill. And then winning it made it a lot more... Greater, and then being the MVP just put the icing <laughs> on the cake. I mean, so I've been to, I guess, the highest mountain that any player could have ever gone as far as National Football uh, League is concerned. And uh, believe me, I take my hat off to those opportunities. But I still think that um, there are some things that could be worked over in the NFL, and, and that's with giving more blacks the opportunity to play quarterback and bringing in more black coaches. Hmm. Your book has a
0: lot of. Uh... Well, what some people would call sour grapes.
1: Well, you, and, and, you know, you, you got to understand that that's going to happen. And uh, I was talking to a guy, and I think everybody knows, a guy by the name of Howard Cosell, just the other day. And he called me. And the first thing he told me, he said, he didn't call me Doug, he called me Doogie. He said, Doogie, let me tell you. He said, there's going to be an awful lot of people out there that's not going to buy what you say because, first of all, they don't want to face the truth. And they don't want to admit the truth. Uh, I remember a few years ago, um, I, I can't think of the guy named him. He wrote for the Sports Illustrator, and I was in Tampa, and he refused to believe that there was any such thing as prejudice. Now, here's a guy, I guess, just don't understand. There's a lot of prejudice, but not just in football, but that's in a lot of other things. And uh, just the other day, I think one of the writers from that uh, paper, uh, The Times or something, uh, Dan Daly, you know, mm-hmm. he writes a lot of negative comments. He spent most of his time looking for negative things in the book so he can write by rather than reading the story. He just picked out stuff. But I think if you read the story and if you know Doug Williams, I think it helps to have known Doug Williams or been affiliated with Doug Williams in, in any kind of way to know that. Uh, not so much, it's, it's not sound great because very few times that – uh, I'ma come off and say something that I don't mean feel uh probably been a part of.
0: But but you know you know what some people do. They'll get the book and they'll look in the index. And exactly. Say, and they'll say Jay Schrader. Let's see, and they'll turn to page twenty or you call him a prima donna blankety blank. Yeah. And they say, Oh, we know what kind of book this is gonna be.
1: And that's it. But I think if you read from the front to the back, instead of looking for the back to find out what's in the miller, you'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: After this short break, a Super Bowl MVP gets all kinds of endorsement deals, uh, right? Now back to my 1990 conversation with Doug Williams. I suppose it'd be hard
1: in your position not to feel some bitterness, wouldn't it? Well, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I'd be crazy to sit here and say that there are some things that I'm not bitter about. Because I am. I mean, you if you hadn't walked in my shoes, hadn't lived my life, you don't understand. So, I, I mean, I can sympathize with those people out there who saying that it's a bunch of sour grapes because they wasn't in Doug Williams' shoes. And maybe if I was in their shoes, I'd be saying it's a bunch of sour grapes, too. Yeah. But, I mean, I understand what I've been through. And a lot of other people who know Doug Williams understand what I've been through. And believe me, some of the people who read this book, some of the guys that I play with, some of the coaches that I've been around, they going to understand what I'm talking about. A lot of them probably wouldn't admit it, but they go going to understand. But I think from a fan standpoint, it's going to be a little tough for them to really understand because uh, let's take the Redskins fans. Everybody know we're talking about le- uh, legacy here. We're talking about tradition. We're talking about one of the greatest teams in football. And as a fan, you're only looking at it you know, even on television. You get a chance to go to RFK. And you're looking at it from what the press write. But hey, you hadn't been in a dirty dressing room, you hadn't been in the shower with anybody, you hadn't been in meetings, so you really don't really understand where I'm coming from. Now after the Super Bowl, after you
0: were named M V P you get you got I think you you got a Wheaties box, didn't you? No. Well but, they
1: put I mean they were gonna put anybody in the Wheaties box.
0: and then and the Disney World. Oh no uh, money
1: was involved in the Wheaties box, no. Oh, no believe me, that was just uh, something that had worked out with the NFL. But but I mean you got there were no more other endorsements. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But, you know, and, and the way I dealt with that is the fact that uh, I lived without it. So it wasn't like I couldn't
0: live if I didn't get it. But now, say here's what I want to talk about. What the, what the, when talking about sour grapes, I think this is where a lot of people would be on your side. I mean, Super Bowl MVP, and you don't get any endorsement offers?
1: Well, I don't know what a lot of people be on my side or not.
0: <laughs> so I never. Well, I would be. I mean, if I was yeah, Super Bowl I MVP, I'd, I'd be sitting uh, back waiting for the offers to come
1: in. Well, I feel like I, I, I should have. A lot of people say that uh, it was a lot of confusion in my camp because they didn't know who represented me. But I don't buy that either. That, now that's how great. <laughs> now that's how great. And I think I've been a. i have been I think I've been a pretty good role model for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst thing, I guess. Public, that it happened. is the fact that I went through the divorce. But you tell me how many people who had Joe Montana's had two divorces, I think. Bradshaw had two divorces. So it's not like I'm inhuman that I can't have a divorce. That shouldn't that shouldn't play a part on what not I do in the advertising for corporate America. But it just didn't happen.
0: Is it difficult, you know, speaking of the divorce, and uh, there's there's gotten a lot of attention in Washington. Is it difficult for someone who comes from a small-town background where things, you know, you keep private matters private and you talk about public things in public, and you come to a town like Washington where every detail of your personal life is put before the public?
1: Well, it it really didn't get to me as much as it probably would have to a lot of guys who wasn't ready for it. I knew it probably was going to become public uh because of who I was, because of what I had done. If I was just the old backup quarterback it probably wouldn't have been as public. Mm-hmm. But just so have every time you wrote, read the article it was always uh Super Bowl twenty two MVP before they started off, which um made people remember who Doug Williams was. But uh you know, you had to get through things like that. You had to overcome it. And I think the greatest thing about that is the fact that I kept my head above water and I didn't tuck my tail, I didn't turn my head, I still was out there, I still was dealing with kids, and I went on with my life. And I think that was the most important part about it.
0: You know, there are a lot of people who figure, hey, you're the Super Bowl MVP, you had all these good years, 35 years old. Hey, why bother to to, to struggle to try to get back into the NFL? You know you could play another season or two, but why risk – a permanent injury at that age? Why?
1: You know, let let the kids do it. Well, that's a good question. But at the same time, I am not struggling to get back to the NFL. I have not called anybody. True. To ask for a trial, uh, I went to one trial. That's because they called me, and I wasn't looking for that. The Raiders called me, so I went out there, and I had a decent trial. Uh, other than that, uh, I instructed people that work with me that do not call anybody. If they don't call Doug Williams, they'll only tell you that. They don't want Doug Williams in the National Football League. And believe me, uh, mentally, I am geared up to not have football in my life. Uh, I felt like the next few months I spent my time trying to figure out which direction Doug Williams is going. And I pretty much know which, which direction I want to go. Uh, I want to be a coach in a small black university, and uh, nine out of ten, I'm going to get that opportunity. So uh, I don't feel bad about not playing in National Football League, but I still feel like uh, I had opportunity to say some things, get some things off my chest, and I did that. And regardless of what anybody thinks is sour grapes or not, that's the hearts of a different color. And, you know, and the way I look at it, there was a James Harris, there was a Joe Gilliam, there was a Marlon Briscoe who was before me. Then there came Doug Williams, and now there's Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, Rodney Peet, Andre Ware, and these guys. And the way I summed it up, the guys before me, Harris and and Gilliam and Briscoe, wouldn't have had the opportunity to write a book. Nobody would listen. Um, Warren Moon, Randall, those guys probably wouldn't say some of the things that I have said. But I had nothing to lose. I don't have a job anyway. <laughs> you know, I had nothing to lose, and uh, you know I'm not making three million dollars a year where I got to put a zip on my lip. It uh, might be detrimental to the team. So I feel like. Whatever I say here, I don't think I'm going to be stepping on anybody's toes. I, I think I'm going to be just telling the truth. And the reason why I say that, for years the, the, the commission office has been talking about more minority to hiring. Mm-hmm. So all I did was reiterate what, what they've been talking about for years.
0: Doug, when you become a coach and you're coaching kids, kids who have those dreams of someday being in the NFL, but you, you know from your own experience how few will ever actually even have the chance to be in the NFL, let alone actually play in the NFL. How do you keep, the, keep them motivated to play but still keep them realistic?
1: I think what I have to do is pretty much put myself in a position like Coach Rob down at Grambling State University have done and go in to these kids' homes, talk to their parents, talk to the kids, and let them know I'm not here to recruit you to be a football player in the National Football League. I'm here to recruit you on behalf of Grambling State University to make you a good American, to help you get a degree, and give you opportunity to play football. Degree number one. In the process, if you're good enough to attain a degree, stay eligible, and to play football, and hopefully get an opportunity to play in the National Football League, that's just uh, another bonus until you go into school. But I'm not here recruiting you on the basis of you being a professional football player player because there are very very few that get that opportunity and you got to be lucky and i feel like i've been lucky i got that opportunity and i'm appreciative of it but at the same time i had an opportunity to get a degree
2: doug williams is 66 now and he's an executive with the used to be called the redskins now they're the washington commanders and you can find easy amazon links to doug williams book at our website hurteverything.com And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my 1987 interview with another famous Washington Redskin quarterback, Joe Theismann.
1: I really didn't know nor believe that my career was over that night. I knew it would be a long struggle going into trying to come back, but I did not believe it was going to be over for me. I truly did not.
2: And my conversation with former Baltimore Raven,
0: Michael Orr. I never had to you know, be in the NFL or the NBA or anything like that. I could have had, you know, been a garbage man or, you know, picking up trash on the side of the road as long as I was able to have a decent roof over my head and food on my table. You know, that was a successful life for me.
2: And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything for Valentine's Day, Uh, We're going to go kind of tongue-in-cheek with this one. My 1994 interview with humorist, motivational speaker, personal coach, Karen Salmonson, who wrote a book called How to Make Your Man Behave in 21 Days or Less using the secrets of professional dog trainers. I believe that these training tips work because um, dog and man do share so much in common, that the dog training tips work because it's really keying in on that. In fact, I think that dog is man's best friend for very deep psychological reasons. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.